From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Yeah, I kind of missed a deadline, like missing a homework assignment. But the nice thing is it's not quite like uh, those anxiety dreams you get where like uh, you're in the classroom in your underwear and there's a surprise pop quiz and you forgot to do pretty much a semester's worth of work. I think I'll be okay. Had a fun weekend. Anyway, hell yes, Mr. Rob Roop. Thank you very much. It is me, Mike. This is Mike Davidson Lives Podcast, where uh, you and I hang out for about half an hour, uh, talking about uh, a few things here in pop culture, maybe a few policy things. Um, Basically, whatever comes to mind with me. Glad you downloaded this and uh, keeping me out of trouble for the most part. Uh, The assignment that I missed was uh, wrapping up American Prometheus, uh, which is the basis of the Oppenheimer movie with uh, with uh, Christopher Nolan as the director, Killian Murphy as uh, Oppie, as he's called in the book, and uh, Robert Downey Jr. as uh, Louis Strauss. Uh, I, and I'm almost done. I have done some reading of it tonight, uh, this evening. I've got like two more chapters and done. Uh, but uh, it, it was just, a, it was a great Saturday this past weekend, uh, which I entitle Apple Picking, or Picking Apples, Smashing Pumpkins. Picking Apples, Smashing Pumpkins. In the morning, uh, me, the wife, the girls, the boy, we uh, we headed off to a new orchard because the one we went to last year, the one we had been going to uh, up here around Fort Wayne, uh, New Haven, it, it is, uh, closed down. It closed down last year, and we were like, ah, damn it. Uh, but uh, we, we went to this place out in Huntington, and uh, it was a ball. The girls loved it. Uh, they were picking apples off of every damn tree, and uh, we filled up that 25-pound bag in no time flat. The boy, uh, Logan, he likes to throw apples, not quite the same as apple picking, and hopefully not uh, a precursor to juvenile delinquency, which may happen later on in life. But uh, it was fun. They really enjoyed it, and then uh, later on in the evening, went down to Indy, hung out with some people I knew, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, wrapping up a seven-week uh, tour in Indy, and uh, the old dudes put on a phenomenal show. Uh, it's just nice to see uh, Billy Corgan, uh, James Eha, and uh, Jimmy Chamberlain, uh, three-fourths of the original lineup, doing what they're doing and doing it very well, better than a lot of bands. But you know, uh, Rob, um, who I went, uh, one of my best men from my wedding. Uh, anytime I hang out with him, it's like I'm watching a uh, an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm happen in real time. There was a story about uh, an Uber driver, uh, some other stories he was telling me about other things. Um, that in itself, just just sitting down talking with him. About anything could be a half-hour podcast right there, <laughs> if if you really want to go there. Uh, the, the interesting thing I found out from him was uh, the one season of The Golden Palace, which aired on CBS, which was a really bad uh, uh, Golden Girl spinoff, where the, uh, three-fourths of the original cast was running a hotel. Uh, he, he told everybody in our Lyft car... Uh, that Don Cheadle had to fill in for a male stripper for uh, uh, an engagement that was going on in the hotel. Don Cheadle working very hard back in the old days. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> it, 
Yeah, uh, getting a driver to the uh, concert, and then when we finally get one, uh, hearing just random IMD bullshit is, is it's it was a highlight. And I'm just giving you sprinklings of what happened that evening. It was it was a fun show. But uh, tonight, tonight, one of the best uh, Smashing Pumpkin songs there is. I mean, it's on a uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, and I was jamming out to that a couple weeks ago. And Jimmy Chamberlain is probably one of the most underrated drummers of the 90s. I mean, I know he had some drug issues and everything. Um, but, yeah, he, uh, like, he really brings it. So they did the sh- uh, they did that at the show Saturday night, but it was Billy and James doing it acoustically. No drums. Jimmy was taking a breather. He did fine throughout the rest of the night. It was... And, you know, it, it was kind of a bummer because that that's a that is a song where you can really show off your chops, and I thought it would be great to see that live. I mean, it was a great acoustic performance, but if you're gonna you know go to town on the drums, that's the song to do it to. Uh, but then you know, I, I also got thinking the song had orchestration on the album, which means you you had some people playing instruments in the background. Kind of expensive to be going around touring with an orchestra, right? So they would have to use backing tracks to kind of pull off that sound, and they didn't. And I kept thinking uh, months ago with that whole falling in reverse uh, crap where, oh, we lost our laptop, we can't do the show tonight. And here these guys are with one of their best-known songs, and they're just jamming out to it acoustically. Nothing electronic at all about that song. And it, it just kind of shows you what's kind of lost with all these new rock bands, it's like, well, we have to rely on technology. It's like, no, you don't. You just have to know three chords and, you know, plow through it. But that's enough of uh, Old Man Yells at Cloud when it comes to music. Uh, got the fall lights up today. That's good. So we, we put, like, just basic standard warm glow light bulb strands around the porch during fall so we can sit out there, drink tea, you know, at least two or three times before it gets really butt-ass cold. Uh, wife was pleased, and uh, the Colts ended up losing today because they couldn't generate offense, and um, I was displeased, but uh, such is life. Oh, all right, uh, real quick before I delve into anything further, just saw that uh, puddle of mud, West Scantlin, in trouble again, and I'm not sure what the issue is, but uh, I have shared this on the Mike Davidson Facebook page, the machine shop out of Flint, Michigan, saying that... Uh, they had to cancel the Puddle of Mud show that was uh, scheduled, and it was not on them. It's 100% on Wes, and they are never going to reschedule Puddle of Mud again, so they're going to refund tickets, but uh, the machine shop said that they apologize, and the representation of Wes Scantlin is apologizing. Holy hell, dude. You're I, I, I'm not sure. Sh- I, it's one of those things where you have an inkling as to, okay, we kind of know what's going on with that, but you really don't know, even though you know. Uh, and it just seems like this dude can't pull his head out of his own ass. I mean, you know, 20 years ago when Puddle of Mud was Breaking Bad, uh, not Breaking Bad, he's Breaking Bad now, Breaking Big on MTV and all that, and, you know, they were they were a rock band. And uh, people knew of them, and Wes Gantlin was actually dating Rachel Hunter, which I I think she was linked up with Rod Stewart for a while. So, you know, for him to, you know, score Rachel Hunter, that takes some major doing. Now you're wondering how the hell he can even hook up with a toothless girl at a gas station wearing cookie monster pajamas. He's that bad off. 
Um, so we'll probably get more on that. And I, I feel bad for not following up on uh, Steve Harwell from uh, Smash Mouth because we talked about it a couple podcasts ago when he was on his deathbed and, bed and he unfortunately passed on. Heavy drinker. Uh, and just didn't take care of himself. He was in hospice care by the age of 56, and you know he's no longer with us. But it got me thinking about uh, Duff McKagan, Guns N' Roses, back uh, in the early 90s. How, like, he had a big drinking problem, and it got to the point where doctors said, hey, look, if you continue down this road, within a month, you're going to die. So he had to get sober real quick and get into better shape real quick, and he actually uh, pursued... An economics degree, like he's actually a financial planner on the side, and he only put together uh, one band, Duff McKagan's Loaded, and then he did Velvet Revolver, and now he's back jamming with Axel and Slash, Guns N' Roses Reunited. And, uh, you know, that's it's kind of uh, night and day, you know, how one guy can actually put his demons behind him and go on and still enjoy a pretty productive, successful life. And guys like you know Wes Scantlin, who keeps doing the same shit over and over again, and Steve Harwell, who unfortunately could not get out from underneath all of that baggage. Uh, it just shows you where they go and where the guy goes that can put behind him all the bad stuff. Yeah, certainly a lot to think about. By the way, I was, I was watching The Dark Knight, uh, earlier this evening, wife put it on, and uh, it was just kind of funny because I was just glancing at you know the gossip Facebook stuff. I linked this up on the Mike Davidson Facebook page because you know I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. Oppenheimer doing very well, and apparently he is uh, rumored to be directing the next James Bond film, maybe even two, the next two James Bond films. Uh, of course, this is all rumor, but he would be ideal. And I'm thinking, okay, if you get this guy to do it. Who would be Bond? Would he try to lure in Christian Bale? Uh, you know, because you know he played Batman, who's American James Bond. Um, and then you got Killian Murphy, hot off the uh, heels of uh, Oppenheimer, and uh, you know he could probably pull it off. I mean, he pulls off you know nerdy scientist guy Robert Robert Oppenheimer, and he could also pull off you know tough ass gangster Thomas Shelby on uh, Peaky Blinders. You'd have to say he's kind of a leading candidate, but then again, Tom Hardy would be a lot of fun, you know. Just, but here's my thing: whoever gets to be the next Bond, and if Christopher Nolan does direct it, we need a return to arrogant dickhead Bond, uh, where like he's a hard drinker, womanizer, says inappropriate things, and he lives that way because he is living a very dangerous lifestyle. He's a secret agent who's always on the verge of getting killed. So he is a little reckless in his personal life. Because, you know, the uh, Daniel Craig Bond started off, started off some promise with Casino Royale, but then it kind of delved into navel-gazing, and that's just never, ever, ever fun. By the way, uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who played the villain in, um, in uh, the uh, Casino Royale, as I'm getting all uh, twisted on my tongue. Uh, kudos to him, because I guess this was off in the Venice Film Festival. Uh, he was out promoting a film, uh, The Promised Land. It's um, it's a European film. I, I'm not quite sure what the premise of the film is. But uh, they're doing the press junket thing, and uh, the PC hall monitor that asked him this question, like they brought up the fact that a lot of the uh, cast for this film is Nordic, i.e. white, and... 
and you know, going on about all this, and uh, it basically, Madge is like, "Okay, what are you putting on me here?" And he, this person was bringing up some of the regulations now with Hollywood Oscar nominations, like you have to, you know, the new guidelines to make everything equal and diverse, and by doing so, you disqualify anything that's just you know trying to tell a good story. And he looked at this person as as the line from a Christmas story would go, as if uh, lobsters were crawling out of their ears. I'm not kidding. Like he was just like, "What the hell are you talking about? What are you on to?" And uh, they go, "Are you worried because of the lack of diversity in this movie?" And Matt Mickelson's like, "Are you?" Quote, you're putting us on the spot, so you answer the question. And then the director had to intercede and go, okay, not everybody in the film is white, and started, you know, playing up the, you know, uh, the good PR, which you have to do to sell a movie. But Nicholas, <laughs> this dude was just, like, not happening. And I'm not sure what his politics are, uh, left or right. He's just trying to do his freaking job. And uh, you have somebody that's more concerned about the HR folder than they are the actual story. So kudos to him for just putting this person in their place. I, I, I just I'm shaking my head at this stuff. Uh, by the way, this uh, writer, Patty Lynn, she's trashing Hollywood in a new uh, uh, memoir, uh, Why I Broke Up with Hollywood or some crap. But uh, uh, if you're wondering who she is, she wrote on some shows that were known like Freaks and Geeks, Desperate Housewives and Breaking Bad. In fact, uh, she was nominated for a few awards for an episode she worked on first season. But I think she was only with the show for one season. And uh, she's throwing some um, throwing some trash the way of Vince Gilligan, the showrunner. The guy cut came up with the idea, saying that uh, he was so scatterbrained. We always had to hunt him down. He just wanted to be at the scene of one... Um, one episode they were shooting, the one where I, Walter White lights that dude's car on fire. He just wanted to be there to watch stuff blow up. And I'm reading some of the excerpts, and I'm like, well, you know, that's the perk of being the boss. You can do whatever the hell you want. And, you know, Vince Gilligan did start out as a writer and made his way up the ladder. I mean, he was a writer on uh, The X-Files and wrote some very memorable episodes of The X-Files. By the way... Uh, this week in the 30th anniversary of the first X-Files episode on Fox. Just so you know. And, uh, you know, he, he wrote for that show. And then, you know, he wrote for some other shows. And then he pitched this idea of Breaking Bad. And he labored his ass off to get uh, Brian Cranston to play the lead. Because uh, the studio execs were like, oh, you know, John Cusack or Matthew Broderick would be good. And I'm just thinking, no. And it worked out. And so, like, this was a show that he was always fighting to get on air and um, to keep going. And for her to kind of do this and, like, not do anything of note since as a writer, it's it's pretty petty, in my opinion. But uh, th that book will be out for everybody to ignore when it's at the bookstores. Uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> I'm cracking up at this one. Uh, one of the bosses at Warner Brothers says... Uh, that uh, some of the most underused properties are um, Harry Potter and DC. And it's like, okay, you guys have just done a few uh, Fantastic Beasts movies, which are prequels to Harry Potter, and uh, you're rebooting the DC universe. And uh, 
Uh, you still have Aquaman 2 coming out. And but, but the thing is, is like Lord of the Rings, um, the Rings of Power is not uh, under the Warner Brothers umbrella. I believe that's an Amazon thing. So that they're not destroying the franchise with that, but they want to do more with the property that they have because it was done by New Line Cinema and now the Warner, ALL, Time Warner, Palooza, DC, Discovery... They, they they own New Line Cinema, so now they got access to Lord of the Rings. And I'm just thinking, okay, the uh, the Hobbit trilogy was not very well received. It did okay at the box office, but it was not well received critically. What else can you do with this? Maybe a maybe a uh, miniseries on Tom Bombadil on HBO Max, or I'm sorry, Max, because uh, everybody will just line up uh, to sub subscribe to that. That's crazy. Uh, underutilized DC and Harry Potter. Just leave Lord of the Rings alone. It's good as is. Alright, as you know, I'm a former radio guy, um, and uh, Howard Stern used to be a god amongst uh, jocks. Just just because you wanted to be that kind of guy. Not necessarily the gross-out humor, um, because it's kind of hard to pull off with advertisers or anything, but just that inquisitive interviewer, that, that guy that can provoke thought and point out hypocrisy. Once upon a time, Howard Stern actually used to be pretty good at his job. And I remember, uh, I think this was just before all the crap with the pandemic, you know, sitting there watching uh, Dave Letterman on Netflix interview Howard Stern, and Howard Stern was talking about how he did every show. He was always thinking about the next 15 minutes. And as a broadcaster, that's gold. That's gold. Um, but now he's older. He's got satellite radio. He's got his mansion. You'd think he'd be happy. He's not because he's scared shitless about COVID. Something that uh, you, me, and the rest of the world have uh, learned to deal with uh, in the last three and a half years. I mean, I, I I get the initial fear of it, the first year of it, but you know, a lot of a lot of places have moved past uh, the lockdown protocols, the masking and everything. Uh, if you want the vaccine, it's out there. Go get it. If you want it, if not, that's fine too, because it's your health. You have your reasons. Um, but Howard Stern is so afraid of it. Uh, they were just talking about it on a show the other day and I'm reading a transcript. I, I, I can't listen to new Howard because new Howard is old Howard and old Howard Howard is, yelling at clouds but he's talking about how he got into a fight with his wife yesterday over COVID and how he's afraid to leave his big ass house you know she's you know she wants to get out and live life and he's afraid to leave he he is bragging how proud he is not to have gotten COVID in the last three and a half years as if that was an accomplishment worthy of what he has done in broadcasting like look at me I, I still haven't been tagged I'm still not it uh, and it's funny because, uh, you know, Rob and uh, his wife last night after the show, we were sitting in his hotel room um, before I, you know, went back to mine. And we were just, you know, kind of talking about COVID. I don't know how we got on the subject, but we talked about, you know, when we each got COVID. And I remember I was sick for a bit and it sucked. Uh, but I don't think it was in the top 10 of uh, how ill I've been in my life. Uh, I've had some pretty bad earaches. I've had some pretty bad, um, you know, stomach flus. I think I've had pneumonia a couple times, fevers, you name it. Uh, COVID was terrible, but not horrible for me. 
And I think I got a second time after getting vaccinated, which kind of shows you how great that vaccine was. Huh? <laughs> um, but, you know, I survived the vaccine. I survived COVID. I've gone on to live a pretty decent life, you know, and go out to concerts and, you know, live life with my family and everything. I'm not hiding in a house. You're not hiding in a house. You have a job to go to. I have a job to go to. That's the point is like we get out and live life. And here's a guy who's achieved everything somebody like me 20 years ago would have loved to achieve in broadcasting. And he's afraid of one buck. And the thing is, is I think he's got three daughters. Like he's never changed a shit diaper in his life. He's never been exposed to a cold or a runny nose or a fever in his life. I know some broadcasters can be a little bit germophobic because... You know, you're sharing a room with somebody else, essentially. You know, back when radio used to do things live, you're sharing a room with somebody who is, you know, just getting off their shift, and you're talking into the same microphone, you're touching the same buttons and faders. Yeah, I kind of get that, but he doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't do that anymore, and he won't leave his big house. It is like, it's like an anchor to him. All that success... And he's afraid to lose it because of a microbe. This is like Howard Hughes, only it's Howard Stern. Just disappointing when I see that. Uh, This is more heartbreaking. I mean, this is disappointing. It's heartbreaking, too. But uh, there's a a youth, a teenager, I think he was 14, Massachusetts, uh, who unfortunately passed away. And it was due to the one-chip challenge. If you know about that very spicy chip, one nacho chip coated in uh just just some really hot ass peppers and uh going back to my radio days uh the morning show host tried it once and it was not good and like like he convulsed and you know what was dramatic was spitting up in the, the you know the, the wastebasket and everything um that the other chip, there's two chips. He ate one, the other one remained in the studio, and I never touched it because I believe fervently food should not be pain, right? Food should never be pain. Uh, and I say this because I ate a lot of spicy food in my youth, and now uh, I'm always taking heartburn medication. But this, this kid in uh, Massachusetts, he couldn't take it. Unfortunately, he ate the chip, and he's no longer with us. So the company behind the One Chip Challenge taking it off the shelves, and it's just, it's kind of a sad reality of the TikTok, YouTube uh, viral culture. You see something online, you think, "Oh, cool, that that looks great. I can do it and get all these follows and likes," which you cannot translate to um, money. You know, it's it's a lot safer most times to share memes. And I'm only half joking about that. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're sharing a joke. You're sharing an idea. You know, you're just putting something out there. Some people may like it. Some people may hate it. But at the end of the day, everybody walks away. And then, But you also have, like, young people doing this crap, like the One Chip Challenge or Holding Your Breath Challenge or whatever challenge where they get rushed to the hospital or once. Or worse, you know, their parents no, no, don't see them ever again. Um. And it just, it's stunning to me, it really is, that in this culture, you can flag a meme and you can, you know, flag a, a, a Facebook profile or somebody on X Twitter or whatever 
the if you share something that is erroneous or false, it's just not open to debate. It's okay, you we have to flag it or you're banned. But we can't do anything about these viral challenges, these viral videos on YouTube and TikTok where people are getting hurt, chasing a fame that's not going to pay off. Or, okay, great, you get a million likes, but then somebody else does something even dumber and they forget about you in a New York minute. You know, and it's it's unfortunate that this kid lost his life about this. And, of course, now the one-chip challenge is going bye-bye for now. Who knows if it returns. Okay, I want to kind of comment here before I wrap up the podcast about uh, uh, Danny Masterson, formerly Hyde of uh, that 70s show and a Scientologist and he has been convicted of rape and all sorts of uh, bad things because of Scientology and uh, like I think it was like two or three women that accused him of this. So uh, he's looking at anywhere from 30 years to life in prison and I have to be very, very careful when I talk about this because I don't know Danny Masterson. Um, I do know that Scientology is on the shady side. And I know people, I know who were legit victims of sexual assault and rape. And that that's not funny. It's not cool. It's, you know, you're invading somebody's private space. But this trial... I don't know how it will hold up. I mean, he has to appeal because it's based off the testimony of two women who are accusing him of rape. I don't know if they're telling the truth or not. And I, I don't buy into the believe all women mantra, that hashtag. It's You have to look at the evidence and come to a conclusion. And if you can't produce solid evidence like, okay, the rape drugs, um, other th- such things... It, it, it's kind of he said, she said, she said, she said here. And so, I like I said, I don't know the character of Danny Masterson, but I don't know the character of these accusers. I don't know the character of Mila Kunis or um, Ashton Kutcher too, but they are friends of Masterson. They wrote letters to the judge, uh, you know, basically talking about their experiences with him and their friend and He's a good guy. Well, somehow these letters went public, and now they're being, uh, you know, Spanish Inquisition for this, and they've had to apologize for defending their friend, uh, which I find kind of Soviet-esque, um, to put that mildly. The truth of the matter is, this is a very serious allegation. I don't know anything about the accusers. I don't know anything about the accused. But... Uh, it's, it's very, very dangerous just to take the word of somebody because they said it's true. This needs to be investigated. And if the evidence outside of a testimony can't be found, I don't know how this holds up in court. But then again, this is California. Uh, you know, in, in coming off of this, Christina Ricci posted on one of her social media accounts that, you know, she herself in her younger days was sexually accosted in Hollywood. And I... I don't doubt that's pos- possible, or I don't doubt that it happened to her, or could happen to her. You know, because she was a young starlet and everything, and she, if if this is her story and she's sharing it now, okay, it, it takes a degree of bravery. I understand that, but we can't believe all victims because we don't know who is legitimately a victim, and that's why we have a court system. 
And that's and, and you know, I know that's kind of a heavy thing. I and I'm not really joking about any of this stuff because it's a serious allegation, and some people could be hurt, some people could be falsely accused. You have to let the system play this out, and I don't think this is over. I don't know who's innocent. I don't know who's lying. I know Scientology is very circum, very suspect. I'll put you that put it that way. But it's very dangerous to believe the words of anybody that you don't know. Hell, you have family, and you know how dangerous that can be to back up somebody you know and love. But that's uh, that's something that's going to continue to play out, I feel. Now, something a little more lighthearted as I wrap this up, just a little bit. Uh, Highland Park, Illinois, um, just, just to kind of prove how out of touch uh, people with white liberal guilt can be. They had to cancel an event at a country club recently in Highland Park, Illinois, where donors for a charity that benefits people that uh, are struggling financially get to experience what it's like to be poor, to be without resources, to be, oh, woe is me, I'm poor here in a country club dining room which is probably getting paid for hosting this event uh, and that money could be used for actual people that are struggling with poverty and this was canceled because the backlash was big and i'm not a big cancel culture thing personally i would have loved for them to try to pull this off and videos go viral from this thing because it would show how out of touch they are because this is an exercise. This is a simulation. Nothing about it is real. At any point, they can say, okay, time's up, and you go back to being rich again. But the dirty little secret is you've always been rich. It's like the song from Pulp, Common People. Nobody likes a tourist. Well, when people who are struggling financially or are about uh, five or six, seven, eight, ten brackets below you in the tax bracket they're seeing you do this they're just thinking man what what a bunch of pompous assholes so uh thanks again uh citizens of chicago or the chicago land area by the way if you want to really know poverty uh they're housing uh was it a couple hundred migrants at the o'hare international airport <laughs> not well it hasn't gotten to the ho uh the holiday inn yet so but yeah that's that's going on and uh, rich people are pretending to be poor. Uh, by the way, uh, going back to some seriousness here, uh, recording this uh, weekend going into September 11th. If you haven't already, uh, remember those we lost on that day, September 11th, 2001, 22 years ago. Crazy. And, of course, think of those who uh, serve in our military. Think of those who are first responders, your firefighters, your EMTs, your cops. And with that all said and done, until next time, Stay fresh. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash mdavidsonlives. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live.